Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. The following is a recording of a town hall meeting presented on March 23rd by SAR Academy and SAR High School in Riverdale, New York. The talk features pediatric ER physician Dr. Josh Rocker and pulmonary critical care specialist Dr. Gita Lisker. Okay, good evening. As has become our custom, um, we'll begin the town hall meeting reciting one parak of Tehillim. Um, I ask everybody to please, you can join responsively. I'll, I'll recite um, the parak, um, and afterwards, I'm going to ask Rabbi Hartstar to please introduce Dr. Santos. Yachel Yisrael El Adonai, ki im Adonai achesed v'harbe imo fidut. Hu ifted Yisrael mikol avonotav. Good evening, Erev everyone. Thank you, Rabbi Kroll. Um, over the course of these past four weeks, we have come together as a community in so many different ways. We have continued to learn, to learn Torah and general studies and to daven as a yeshiva. We have prepared for Shabbat together. We said Havdalah, celebrated Purim. Our community volunteers have gone above and beyond in so many ways over these weeks. And our doctors have provided us with medical guidance, wisdom, leadership, and advocacy in a way that is beyond belief. One of the things that we must invest in together as a community, in addition to our concern for our physical health and well-being and the health, physical health and well-being of those around us in the broader community and around the country, is that we also must invest in our positive mental health and well-being during this challenging period. 
And while we've spent so much time over these weeks focusing on things that we really, really need to focus on and must continue to be diligent about in terms of social, physical distancing um, and taking care of ourselves and our families and having a sense of normalcy, uh, it is so important for us to be concerned and to work together to develop a sense of mental health and well-being during this difficult time. And tonight we are really, truly privileged to host and to have participating with us Dr. Lori Santos, who is Professor of Psychology at Yale University, uh, Director of the Comparative Cognition Laboratory, and the head of Yale Silliman College. Um, Dr. Santos has been a featured TED speaker. Uh, she, uh, in January 2018, her course titled Psychology and the Good Life became the most popular course in the history of Yale with a quarter of the student population joining that course. And um, she is the host of a podcast, which I highly recommend, The Happiness Lab, which is published by Pushkin Industries um, run by Malcolm Gladwell and Jacob Weisberg. Today, uh, her course on Coursera uh, had a Q&A um, for those who are registered. There are now over 1.6 million people around the world registered for that course. Dr. Santos is here with us simply out of a sense of concern and care to be able to help us grow and strengthen each other um, I am, and we are, I think I express on behalf of everyone, tremendous gratitude to you for being here with us tonight. We were going to have, um, please feel free to enter any questions that you have in the chat, and we will have some uh, minutes of question and answer at the end. Uh, my pleasure to introduce Dr. Lori Santos. Well, thank you so much, Julie, and thanks so much to this community for welcoming me in. Um, you know, I was one of the many who was watching what was going on in your community in the news and from afar, and it means so much to be able to share some of the tips that we've come up with through evidence-based science for what you can do right now to focus on your uh, mental health. Um, I don't need to tell this community that this is an unprecedentedly scary and awful time, um, both just in terms of the uncertainty and the anxiety, but also the physical cost of this disease. Um, you all were experiencing it maybe before anyone else in the country, and so you know that quite well. Um, but what I am here to talk about is the fact that we can do something about the mental cost of this disease. And I think this is really critical. I think we've now gained agency in terms of our physical health. We know the things we need to do. As, as Tuli was saying, we need to wash our hands and socially distance and so on. But it's not always as clear what we should be doing proactively about our mental health. And what I want to talk to you about today are the evidence-based interventions you can take, just like washing your hands, but for your mental health. Um, and to kind of make it as easy as possible and to make sure we have time for questions, which I definitely want to get to, I'm going to give you my top five tips right now for preserving your mental health in the time of COVID-19. Um, the first one of these tips I think is the most important, which is that we need to find ways to socially distance in a way that doesn't socially isolate us. Um, we've known for a long time that loneliness is really bad for our physical health and for our immune function. Um, so some statistics actually say that loneliness is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day for your heart and for your immune function, but it's also really awful for our mental health. It's also the opposite of what we normally do when there's a crisis. You know, when there's a crisis out there, that's when communities come together more than they ever have. And so the sort of double whammy of this disease is that it's forcing us to stay socially apart during this time when we need each other the most. 
But the good news is that we actually don't have to socially isolate when we're physically isolating. We can use technologies just like this to come together as a community. And I think this is a wonderful example of it. This is an entire congregation that's coming together, you know, despite this disease and despite the odds. Um, but we need to do that more and more. And we need to do that in many, many informal ways as well. And so I think if you're not the kind of person who loves the Zoom technology or FaceTime, this is the time to get really comfortable with it. And to try to do it not just for these very formal meetings, like you know, a particular town hall that's scheduled, but for informal kinds of things. Um, just to give some examples, you know, this just this week I've you know, uh, cooked dinner with a friend of mine. I realized I was just gonna be chopping vegetables from my pantry for an hour and realized like, oh, hey, let me Zoom with you while I'm doing that, right? And so you can have someone kind of with you as you're Zooming um, to take part in this. Um, another thing you can do is just to participate in your normal daily activities with someone else there. You know, so do a shared online yoga class together or share your dinner with a family that you haven't talked to in a while. Um, again, these things can feel a little clunky at first because we're not used to these technologies. But I think you'll find, as I do, as soon as you get into them, it's giving you the same social benefit that you could get otherwise. And I think this is going to be really important to realize these social benefits even as we get to, to the kinds of times during the year when we're used to being together, um, I know the holidays are coming up, you know, pa Passover is coming in and you might all be worrying about the fact that, well, how can we have a Passover celebration when we're socially distancing? The good news is that these tools can allow us to do that in a really fundamental way. You know, Passover is not necessarily about having your family physically there together. It's being there together mentally. It's sharing in those rituals together in some form. And this will allow you to do that with those in your community who you might normally get together with. But it also opens up new opportunities to try to get together with folks that you might not have gotten together with. You know, that, that relative over in California that you haven't seen in a while, you know, or, you know, I don't know, an aunt or an uncle in Israel or something. Like, you can bring those folks into the fold with these technologies that allow us to cross time zones um, and meet with each other in good ways. And so that's kind of tip number one is to really take intentional action over socially distancing in a way that doesn't socially isolate you and to make use of all these technologies. And in the question and answer period, I'm happy to give more specific tips about how you can do that if you want some. Um, the second tip of my top, type, my top five tips for what you can do during COVID-19 to improve your mental health is to become a little bit more other oriented. And this goes against the grain for how we normally think of what we should do in a crisis. I think when things get bad, we think that that's the time that we need so-called self-care or sort of treat yourself if you watch the Parks and Rec TV show. Um, but but cr crisis times are times when we need to focus a little bit more on other people. And we need to do that for a couple of reasons. One is that, of course, other people really need our help right now. We have elderly folks in our community and folks who are incredibly vulnerable, folks who are sick and so on. And we need to kind of focus our efforts in order to help those that need it. But a bigger reason concerns our mental health. And there's tons and tons of research showing that people who focus on others tend to have improved well-being relative to those that don't. So people who volunteer their time, people who give money to charity, they tend on average to be happier than folks that tend not to do that stuff. But in addition to kind of just having overall higher well-being, focusing on other people can actually reduce your anxiety. Uh, by just thinking about what's going on with other folks, you can actually quelch the fear that a lot of us are having right now. And that can allow us to do a little bit better, not just for other people, but for ourselves. And there's a particular kind of focusing on other people that I really want to suggest everyone harness right now, which is to try to um, find the power of compassion. Um, and this is a particular way of thinking about other people that's a little different than how we normally do it, which is through empathy. Empathy is this idea that 
you, you kind of look out at the suffering of the world and you kind of want to feel other people's suffering or feel other people's emotions. And right now that that particular kind of emotion is, is sort of a recipe for burnout because if we're just soaking in everyone's suffering. It can feel a little bit too much right now. This is particularly true for all my amazing, brave first responders out there who I know are going through this. But research suggests that kind of just tweaking the emotion of empathy a little bit and shifting from empathy to compassion, this emotion where we're kind of action oriented and really wanting to help and give care to other individuals, that can be incredibly powerful because the emotion of compassion doesn't really get fatigued. If anything, it kind of launches us into action more and more. And so if you want tips for how you can kind of bump up your compassion, um, one of the tips we've been giving in our podcast in particular is to do a practice that we know can build up compassion over time. It's a specific form of meditation practice known as loving kindness meditation. And basically what the practice does is it just allows you to sit and basically sit there and experience compassion for someone else. The, the prompts that people tend to use is to think of someone you really care about or a pet or just some, something or someone that you feel incredible compassion for. And just sit there and wish that person well in your mind. You know, Think, may that person be happy. May that person be healthy. And kind of watch what happens in your body. And by taking like five to 10 minutes a day to experience that compassion, research suggests that it bumps up your compassion muscles, so much so that people who do that practice actually report less burnout. One of my favorite studies on this, which comes from the scientist Tanya Singer, she gave that meditation practice to a group of subjects over time. And what she found was that when she showed those subjects kind of videos of bad news happening to people, you know, so think the kind of current news cycle, just kind of seeing it. Rather than react with negative emotions, which would be our normal reaction to seeing videos of people suffering, those folks actually reacted in some ways positively, not positively like they were happy to see the suffering, but in an affiliative way. It kind of got their action circuits going, like they were ready to go out and help. And that's the power of compassion, which we really need right now. It's not just being other-oriented, but it's being other-oriented in an action-directed way and in a way that can protect our own emotions from burnout. And so that's tip number two, is that we need to harness the power of compassion. And the specific practice you can use to do that is through this process of loving kindness meditation. And again, we can talk more about the specifics of what that looks like. You know, maybe if we have time at the end, we can maybe do one of these meditations. Um, if you're looking for them, there's lots of them just online on various meditation apps. Just Google loving kindness meditation, and you can get some guided uh, forms of this practice to help you. So that's top tip number two. Top tip number three of my five tips to survive uh, COVID-19 with your mental health intact um, is to make sure you're focusing on how your body is feeling right now. Um, and again, I don't mean your body in terms of like whether you're coughing or whether you have a fever. I'm talking about how your body's feeling in terms of its emotions, um, how you're feeling in terms of your own anxiety right now. Um, if a lot of us reflect, we can realize that the act of, say, scrolling through the news or panic scrolling through our social media feed it kind of makes us feel really yucky right now. You know, many of us are in this process of ruminating a lot. We're feeling really anxious. We're feeling really afraid. We're feeling really uncertain. And that doesn't just feel some way in our head. That actually is, feels a certain way in our bodies. We're kind of embodying the kind of anxiety, you know, sort of tight chest, tight neck, kind of like really slow, I mean, really kind of fast, compressed sorts of breaths. Um, and that shows that we're basically activating through all these threats around us, we're activating our sympathetic nervous system. That's the fight or flight part of our autonomic nervous system that's there ready for us to kind of run away from a tiger in a short burst when we need it. We know that activating that long term is not really great. I mean, obviously, those of you who are activating your sympathetic nervous systems know it doesn't feel great right now, but it's also not great for our immune function. It's not great for our sleep. It's just not great in general. 
The good news is that the, we have one stopgap on our sympathetic nervous system, which is that we can harness the, the flip side, which is our parasympathetic nervous system. You're getting a little bit of a biology lecture, uh, you know, kind of kick back to high school biology here. But the parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite of fight or flight. It's the rest and digest. It's there to help you sleep, to help your digestion system work, to help your immune function work, to help your sexual health and so on. And there's not many ways to turn on these different parts of the autonomic nervous system, but there is one way to turn on the parasympathetic nervous system, and that is through your breath. Um, you might have heard this like mantra of just, just breathe, you know, when you're feeling stressed out, just breathe. And that can sound kind of aggravating of like, what do you mean just breathe? But, but what folks mean if they're doing it right is you can harness a certain kind of breath that transforms the way your autonomic nervous system is functioning so that the parasympathetic comes on. And the way to breathe is just the slow, deep breaths that we all know can kind of calm us down. In particular, a slow, deep breath that actually comes from our belly. And so we can all do one together where you just sort of deeply breathe in and don't just breathe into your chest, really try to breathe into your belly. So you do the thing we don't normally do, just kind of stick our bellies out, but, and then slowly sigh it out. Just the act of doing that three or four times will trigger your vagus nerve. It'll basically turn on your sympathetic nervous system because it'll convince your body that you're not like running from a tiger right now. You wouldn't be breathing like that if that was the case, you know, things must be chilled out enough that you can sort of rest and digest. And this is a power that you can turn on at any point. This is something I've been using a lot lately. You know, I've been busy with meetings throughout the day and then I get to the end of my day, you know, around five or six o'clock and I'm about to cook dinner and I realize my chest is really tight and my neck is really tight. And that's the moment where I realize, oh, this is when I need to make sure I'm breathing the right way. And it's amazing what a you know, couple minutes of just doing that basic breath where you can turn on your parasympathetic nervous system can do. It can really help chill you out when you're feeling especially anxious. Um, so that's tip number three is to take time to calm your sympathetic nervous system. Um, tip number four is, is relatively similar to tip number three. It's to find ways to get back to your body's basics because that's re what really matters for your mental health right now. Um, what do I mean by getting back to the body's basics? I mean the things we know we're supposed to be doing but get really hard in times of stress. Things like taking time for exercise, um, the research suggests that a half hour of cardio every day is basically equivalent, psychologically speaking, to a prescription of Zoloft for reducing depression and anxiety symptoms. Um, we forget that exercise is as powerful for our mental health as it is for our physical health. But of course, it's the kind of thing that falls by the wayside when we you know, can't get to our gyms, we can't do the normal thing, and just our routine is kind of out of whack. So what can you do to dive into exercise this week? You know, even if you're trapped inside in a small apartment, you can go on one of the many free exercise classes that gyms all over the country are, are, are offering right now. You can even engage in exercise practices like yoga that have this nice mindfulness component where you're even thinking about other people and, and pursuing compassion or even sort of taking time to watch your breath and be a little bit more mindful. Um, the other getting back to the basics, which also is really hard right now, is sleep. Um, again, it's, you know, the first thing for me that went in the, in the course of this crisis is sleep because we're feeling anxious, we're feeling uncertain and so on, but we really need to prioritize it right now. It too is incredibly important for our mental health. And obviously it's also very important for our immune function. Um, how do we prioritize sleep when we're feeling anxious? Well, I think going back to the basics kind of helps, right? You know, if you're exercising, you're naturally making your body tired in the evening. And if you're taking time to kind of do those deep breaths, you're able to harness your parasympathetic nervous system in such a way that it can turn on and actually make you go to sleep. 
Um, my final sleep tip is for those of you who are panic scrollers like me, um, try to find an end point for that panic scrolling in the evening. Um, these days I've been trying to put the technology away around six or seven o'clock at night so that it kind of just goes away. I'm not on the news anymore. All that news in the 24 hour news cycle will be there the next morning. Um, but it just allows me some time without the blue light, without the anxiety of this new information to kind of get my body in a state of rest. Um, another tip is to make sure you have time for some rituals before sleep. You know, can you have a nice, you know, decaffeinated tea or, you know, put some lotion on or just kind of, you know, have some schedule and sort of schedule and ritual that you do right before bed that can kind of convince your body like, okay, wait, this is rest time. This is the time to go to sleep. Employing all of these things now is becoming really, really important. And so that was tip number four, kind of get back to the basics. Um, and tip number five, which I think is the most important, uh, is that in addition to compassion for other people right now, we also need to deliver ourselves some compassion, this idea of sort of self-compassion. Um, I think so many of us are used to a lifestyle where things are busy, 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 where we have to be productive, where we have to be perfect for our kids and perfect for our spouses and so on. And this is a time that everything just sucks. Like we're going to be anxious. We're going to be scared. We're not going to be our best selves. And the worst thing we can do right now is to keep beating ourselves up over that. And so give yourself a break in the way you would give a break to a family member you care about or a really good friend and just cut yourself some slack. Um, part of that loving kindness meditation practice I mentioned before allows you to tell yourself some compassion. So may I be happy, may I be healthy. And if you struggle with self-compassion, that can be a powerful practice. Um, but whatever you should do, you should cut yourself some slack. Don't beat yourself up. We're all not going to be the perfect parents or spouses or workers or employees this, this time, and that's okay. Um, and so by cutting yourself some compassion, you also make it easier for others to do the same. And so those are my quick five tips. Um, I think I've left at least some time for questions. So I'll uh, switch over and hopefully Tuli can go through the chat and tell me uh, all the wonderful questions you all have been coming up with uh, while I've been chatting here. Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Santos. And again, encouraging people to please feel free to add questions to the chat. I just want to uh, begin um, by bringing um, our children into the conversation in two ways. Um, one is uh, what, you, how you, what you would suggest in terms of all the things that you described um, for kids of di different ages. We are, um, you know, in our community from, uh, you know, toddlers through high school. Um, and how would you guide parents in terms of their interactions with their kids to help them with that? Um, and the second part of that question is, uh, what guidance would you give to parents who are trying to take care of themselves in that way while they're actually trying to help kids along in that process? Yeah, yeah, great question. So I think with the kids, I would really start with um, all the same practices I just mentioned, you know, so kids also are going to get lonely. And it's awesome if you can find ways to help them connect through technology. And that looks like different things for different age kids, you know, for your teenagers, it looks like, you know, basically what you're going to do over Zoom, allow them time, private time where they can use their technology to connect with friends. You know, for littler kids, it might look different, but you can harness technology just the same. Um, one of my close friends with toddlers has been doing play dates where she downloads coloring pages from the internet that her, her kids' friends are downloading too. So the kids on you know, either side of the Zoom feed each have the same coloring book or coloring pages and they're kind of coloring together. And so for younger kids, it helps to have some sort of shared activity, but those are exactly the kinds of things we would do. Again, you can get creative and basically make play dates across these technologies in the same way. At first, again, you know, I'll admit it feels a little clunky, 
but honestly, we can kind of sink right into it. Um, and then I think all the other tips I would say apply for kids just as well. You know, kids are also going to need some exercise in their lives. You know, what would it look like to let them, you know, do this kind of jumping around Zumba video with you? Um, kids also need to be prioritizing their sleep. And I think you need to be protecting them from the kinds of anxiety provoking stimuli, particularly the news and social media and things that they might be seeing before they go to bed too. Um, and finally, I think you can encourage your kids to have a little compassion for one another and for themselves right now. Um, and, and honestly, the way that you can do that best is in some sense to embody it yourself. Um, and this is a big, the kind of the most powerful thing I think parents can do for their kids right now is that if we know anything from the science of psychology, we know that there's emotional contagion. In other words, your panic, your anxiety, your calm, your being in the moment, your joy, your laughter, they're going to catch that. You're, you're kind of embodying what they're assuming the right response is right now. Um, and they will copy that. And so one of the most powerful things you can do to influence your kids' emotions is to try to do these kinds of interventions yourself so that you're in a good state because that's going to transmit really powerfully. Um, so I think that gets back to the second question, which is, you know, what you need to be doing is to be taking care of yourself first, and that kind of thing will have a positive effect on the family down the line as well. Well, how would you uh, counsel uh, people for whom kind of first reaction is, I'm supposed to figure out how I can help and what I can do. And the idea of taking care of myself at this time feels um, selfish. Uh, like, why am I focusing on myself? And um, so somehow our intuition is to pull in the opposite direction um, in a certain sense. Um, I yeah, no, I totally get it. Totally get it. I think this is a lot of people's intuition. But, you know, I mean, think, think of what happens when there's an emergency on the plane right? You know, you're asked, you know, when the oxygen like tanks drop down, you're supposed to put your own oxygen tank on first before helping other people. And there's a reason for that, which is that you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, and even if you're trying to pretend you're not feeling frazzled or anxious or any of that stuff, your kids will see it. Ask them, you know, do you think like when mom's trying to hide her anxiety, like, you know, people see it and your kids will be like, yes, we see it, right? Um, and so, so that really does mean that there's power to helping yourself first. You have permission, like the scientist is telling you, but really like, again, you cannot pour from an empty cup. You have to be focusing on these things yourself um, in order to do better for your kids. And, and that's going to be like, you know, giving yourself some self-compassion. It's going to mean you're not going to be a mom that's on all the time. It's going to mean you're going to actually have to take time for yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Um, could, could you give a, uh, a, just a very basic first step to, in terms of kind of the, the importance of breathing, uh, uh, for, for someone who's looking to engage in that kind of, um, calming myself down and focus first steps towards, uh, kind of going, crossing that hurdle? Yeah, no, I think first step, honestly, is just noticing how much you need it. That's, that's what's worked for me. Like, I'll be cooking, and I'll be ruminating about all this stuff, and then I'll notice my chest is tight, and then I'll have this kind of, you know, health anxiety reaction where I'm like, oh my gosh, my, health, my chest is tight. Maybe I have symptoms of COVID, like my chest, I like shorter breath. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have a fever right now. I'm lucky in that sense. I'm short of breath because my body is doing this. My sympathetic nervous system is freaking out. And so first, the first step is realization of like, wait, I, I'm in fight or flight mode. And then it's like, okay, just literally sit down or even stand if you're standing and just force yourself to take a deep belly breath. Like just take a deep breath, you know, and then realize where it's going. You might realize if you haven't done this before, that's going into your chest. It's like really far up here. And then be like, all right, 
doesn't need to go into my chest. That's not great. Let me just force it to go into my belly. You know, pretend like you're sticking out, you know, your belly like a Buddha or like a, you know, a guy with a big beer belly, like, I don't know, breathe in so that it sticks out and then just force yourself to do that over and over again. And it will feel foreign, especially if you've been in like sympathetic fight or flight mode for a long time, because that's when we kind of breathe really quickly in our chest. But you can actually train your body to breathe in this more parasympathetic belly breath way. You kind of just have to force yourself to do it. So I think the first step is noticing like, hang on, like I am really tight in my chest. My neck is tight. I'm kind of in this panic mode. And then just take time to do these breaths. Mm -hmm. um, can you, is there uh, something specific that you would draw on from, um, I feel like there's a, a focus here on, for obvious reasons, on the anxiety and the concern. And uh, your, your work has been focused on trying to bring out or pe help people recognize the, uh, you know, the happiness lab is about, uh, yeah, I think that you recently spoke, uh, uh, interviewed uh, Ken Harris, is it about temp? Ken Harris, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk a little bit about the happiness side of things, almost like developing that positivity side, even though we're focused a little bit more on how to not be so stressed out, how to be uh, kind of drawn some of the happiness research? Yeah, no, great, great question. I think, you know, that really is the flip side. And one thing I think for the happiness side is to give ourselves permission to feel joy. I think that can feel hard. You know, when members of our community are sick, when everyone's in mourning, when people are dying, it can feel like we're not allowed to feel happy. We're not allowed to savor things in life. And that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we should harness all the positivity we can in this crisis. Um, so it's okay to kind of experience joy in this time. And I think the joy in this time comes from a whole host of things. It comes from the fact that there's all the things that we would normally savor that we're kind of appreciating even more right now. And we know there are people that are doing without, you know, if you're a family who has, you know, your kids close to you, you know, think of the folks who are single out there who are living alone, who don't have that kind of community, that's a moment to savor. You know, if you're lucky enough to have food in the pantry, you know, think of the folks who've lost jobs, who are really worried about those kinds of things. Like there's so much to feel incredible gratitude for, and that can really bump up your happiness. Um, a second thing I think that people don't like to admit is that, you know, there are some ways that we could look at this, you know, the awful time and the strange situation of social distancing and sheltering in place as a sort of gift. You know, I was just thinking like, you know, I'm a busy academic, I'm traveling all the time, I'm busy all the time. I had this strange time windfall right now where a lot of my meetings have been canceled. I have a little bit more time. My husband and I are in the house together. You know, if you had told me, you know, six months ago that like, you know, in 2020, there's going to be this one month period where all your meetings are going to get canceled and you're just going to have a ton of time with your husband to just kind of savor and cook meals and like not have to do anything and not ever have to go out. I might've said like, that sounds amazing. You know, where do I sign up for this vacation? You know, it's awful that it comes with this terrible crisis, but there are these like mini gifts in there and we can appreciate those mini gifts and savor them without kind of not doing justice to the bad stuff out there. I think as long as we're focused on helping the people who are suffering, you know, it behooves us to experience some joy. That's how we're going to promote our own resilience so that we can help the folks that are in real need right now. Our Jewish community, you know, as, as a, the, the guilt is actually a big uh, factor in the way that we think about things. I'm sure that we're not the only ones, but yeah, I'm Catholic. We got the same thing, you know, <laughs> it's like the old school. Yeah. And that's why I ended with this idea of self-compassion, right? Like the thing, you know, the, this disease is beating us up. The social isolation is beating us up. You shouldn't, in addition, beat yourself up. That's not hurting. That's not helping anyone, right? If you can allow yourself a little self-compassion during this time, 
It will promote your resilience. It'll make your family happier. It'll protect your immune system. So you're less likely to get this horrible disease. Um, I think like kind of finding ways to reduce guilt can be really powerful. And the main way is like just remembering like the Yale lady said to not do this. So, you know, if you see a family member saying like, oh, you know, like, what am I doing? It's like, oh, you know, Yale lady said no guilt, some self-compassion here. So we can, we can help each other not beat ourselves up too a little bit too. Uh, I have two more questions, if we could. Uh, one is uh, um, uh, a question raised about uh, y- y- your work is science-based in terms of uh, understanding uh, happiness and uh, mindfulness. And uh, the question is in terms of, is, is music and theater creating and listening to music um, kind of the artistic experience scientifically connected to being able to increase happiness, as far as you know, in terms of the data? Yeah, definitely. And I'll just make a meta comment about the scientific approach, which is that, yes, we're using all the modern tools of science to, to, to come up with these insights. But if you look at what they are, you know, things like taking time to help others, taking time to be social, like t- taking time for mindfulness and gratitude, like these are the ancient insights that religion and art and history have, have long been promoting. It's just science has only come around recently to figure them out. And so I think the ancient things that we knew gave us joy back in the day, things like theater and art and so on, those are all the more important right now. And we might say like, oh, you know, these are the things I can't enjoy, but this is the beauty of the modern age. You know, this is not the 1918 flu when we were trapped in our house, that was it. We have technology that can give us symphonies from around the world, many of which are going online for free. Um, Whole theater districts, I think the London theater groups are now putting all their plays online so anyone can watch them for free. You know, these are things of joy that we can like savor ourselves, but also bring to our families too. Um, And do you have any ideas on how to mentally tackle the idea of not knowing how long this will last? Really the uncertainty of it, which is kind of its own quality. Yeah, I'm like, I'm feeling you on this one because that's the one that I'm hardest hit with. In fact, I got three emails from students who were like, I can handle everything else, but I can't handle the uncertainty of not knowing if I'll be back in the fall semester. And you you can just kind of feel the anxiety that comes with that uncertainty. I think, you know, the one thing to, to do is just to accept that and to kind of validate it. Like, yeah, that part of the uncertainty sucks and we just don't have control over it. But what we do have control over is our reaction to this kind of uncertainty. Um, and here I'll jump to a different ancient tradition. You were talked about the kind of Jewish traditions and Catholic traditions. There's a wonderful Buddhist tradition that I think maps onto modern psychology quite well. And it's the, it's the Buddha parable of the second arrow. And the way it goes is that Buddha was asking his, his followers, he said, you know, is it bad if you're walking down the street and someone hits you with an arrow? And people say, yeah, that's terrible. You know, you're hurt. You get hit with this arrow. Buddha asked, well, would it be worse if you got hit with a second arrow? and a third arrow, and many arrows after that. And the disciples say, yeah, that'd suck even more if you're hit with all these extra arrows. And Buddha said, the first arrow is the bad stuff that happens that's out of your control. You know, the first arrow is that this is uncertain. We don't know if we're, we're going to be done in a month or in a year, right? Like, that's the first arrow. But the second arrow is our reaction to it, that we freak out, that we, like, you know, ruminate about it all night, that we prevent ourselves from getting sleep, that we transmit that emotion to our kids. Like, that's a second, a third, a fourth arrow. We can't control the first one. You know, none of us can make this crisis go away, but a lot of us can control those second and third arrows. We can find ways to calm ourselves down, to stop ruminating, you know, to switch off the panic scrolling, to help one another. All those are things we can do to take action. So the uncertainty sucks. There's no two ways about it. And it's really scary, but you can control the reaction to that uncertainty. So in some sense, you can make the certainty certain by controlling your own reaction to it, taking agency over how you feel 
about what's going on. Dr. Santos, I just want to express on behalf of uh, the 750 or so devices here, uh, gratitude to you for taking time to be with us. We're really grateful and uh, thanks for giving us strength and uh, wishing you good health and all the best as well. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. All the best for your community. Thanks for having me. We'll see you guys soon. Rabbi Krauss. Uh, Erev Tov, thank you, Dr. Santos, for uh, taking the time to be with us and helping us out. And I know that those messages will be internalized by, by so many of us. I want to start, um, as we always try to do, or to continue with words of Hakarat HaTov, um, to so many, to our incredible faculty who are now in week five of, uh, of distance learning, um, or I've live or something like that, as the uh, high school, I, be- I believe, has uh, started to call it. Um, thank you very, very much for, for just being there. Thank you to all of our parents and to our kids um, for being so positive uh, at a very stressful time. Um, some of our kids in fourth grade, I just got an email a couple of uh, minutes ago, uh, put together some words of Akaratov to the incredible medical team and generally to the uh, doctors out there who are the heroes of this story or on the front lines. Um, I wanted to share that with you for a very brief moment, read one of them to you, allow you to see a couple of them. Um, before we introduce Dr. Rocker. Um, Grace Levine wrote the following, Dear Doctors, my name is Grace Levine. I'm 10 years old, and I might not know that much about doctors, but I definitely know that it's courageous of all of you to put so much through your work through your work. It's amazing how you risk your life to save other people's lives. I really look up to you guys. You're all so amazing with how fast and how hard you work. I would be terrified if I were risking my life That's why you are so brave by risking your life for others. That's how amazing you all are. Thank you for everything you do for everyone. And again, nobody could say it better than our kids who speak from the heart. Um, I shared that with our team uh, a few minutes ago um, and wanted to just kind of include you in that and share that with you uh, by way of introduction to to Dr. Rocker, um, who has guided us through this, who's going to give a couple of minutes of his uh, recent experiences and insights, take a couple of questions, um, and then I have a few, uh, few words to our community before we, uh, before we move on. Dr. Rocker, I think you're here. Thank you very much, Josh. Hi. Uh, hello, everyone. Hope everyone is well. Uh, and again, thank you to everyone for joining in. And Dr. Santos, that was absolutely amazing. So thank you so, so, so much. Um, I will definitely bring your words of wisdom and your insight uh, to the teams in the hospital. Um, so, uh, updates from, uh, you know, the hospital, um, we, there's some good news and the good news is, is that all the actions that people have been doing in regards to social distancing, in regards to staying in their homes, um, has paid off. Um, so we are still seeing an increase. We are still seeing more patients come in every day, but what has changed is the slope isn't straight like this anymore, it's turning a little bit, which means that we're starting to get towards the peak. And people have suggested that potentially the peak will be um, anywhere in you know, 10 to 14 days. Uh, and we are seeing evidence of that. And that makes a huge difference uh, from a hospital perspective. So I don't want to people to think like, woohoo, like we're done. No, every day there's still more patients. I think when we started talking, there were maybe, you know, 
you know, 30 admitted patients in a hospital. Right now, you know, the hospital that I'm, uh, the adult hospital I'm most closely associated with and Dr. Lisker is uh, associated with is LIJ. Um, and we have 450 COVID positive patients there. Um, that is taking up around 85% of the space of the hospital. That's not including all the people who require surgeries or giving birth. Um, so it is stressing the system significantly. Um, the Children's Hospital has given 50% of our space to LIJ um, because um, their space can't handle the number of patients and the patients are still coming. Um, so, but the good news is Everything that you guys are doing, that stressful, you know, thing of staying indoors um, is making a difference because we are seeing the flattening of the curve. We are seeing that that spike isn't going straight up anymore. The spike is, you know, um, starting to curve. And that is an enormous, enormous um, uh, benefit. So thank you to everyone. Um, so... I still want to reiterate the same things that we have said before is because it has worked, we want it to continue to work and we want people to continue to practice the same things that they were uh, practicing before. And the main things are washing hands, social distancing, um, and uh, really the best you can staying inside, uh, minimizing your exposure to others um, and uh, really planning out your week. Um, so if you have to go out, if you have to go out and get things, kind of consolidating it into uh, as few trips as possible. Uh, and when you go out, try to stock up uh, if you're shopping, not for a few days, but for a week or two weeks, so you don't have to go out much. Um, so there were questions that people sent, and I'd like to address some of those. Uh, one of the questions was about masks. Do I need a mask? What's the benefit of a mask? Um, so the benefit of the mask is a fewfold. Um, as we've discussed before, this is a respiratory droplet infection. And so, and we know that when someone coughs or sneezes, so let's say you have a mask and you are healthy, you do not have it. When you walk out, if someone coughs or sneezes, it's not going to go near your mouth. It's not going to go your no, uh, near your nose. It may go near your eyes. So does it protect you from that to a certain extent? But what it does do for the someone who isn't sick is it kind of prevents you from touching your face, right? You may touch your mask, but if you're touching doorknobs, you're touching other things, um, um, you aren't introducing it to your nose or your mouth. And so that's important. Now, for those who are sick or those who are shedding the virus, and you may be shedding the virus and not feel sick. And that's the confusing part, right? So someone who is about to get sick in two days or someone who has it and has the virus in their secretions, in their saliva, in some of their, um, you know, in their boogers in their nose, um, the runny nose, um, they may not feel sick. Um, and by wearing a mask, if they cough, if they sneeze, um, uh, then it's not spreading all over. So the benefit to you who is uh, healthy uh, is that it sort of prevents you from touching. Uh, and if there's direct contact uh, from someone else's uh, spit um, or, or sneezing or, or coughing. Uh, and for someone who is sick or maybe shedding and not even know it. So it does have some benefit. Um, to those uh, on the crowd. I know we discussed in the past, it doesn't have much of a benefit. And I think we're learning it probably does have a little bit more of a benefit than we thought. Um, how long is this going to last? Uh, I don't exactly know. But the whole concept, and if people looked uh, earlier back, we talked about flattening the curve. If we didn't flatten the curve, it would have been a much higher spike. And then it would have been an equal, you know, quick dive on the way down. Um, 
if we flatten the curve appropriately, the curve will start. But then once you hit the peak, you're actually not at the 50% uh, point yet. Um, there's still going to be uh, illness for a longer period of time. It's not equal on this side and on this side. So by people quarantining, that's great. And then the question is, is well, can I stop self-quarantining once that goes down? Well, if you do, then it could just spike up again. Um, so if people are saying, oh, we hit the peak in 10 days, does that mean you know, we're going to be able to stop self-quarantining at that point? I do not believe that is going to be the recommendations of the Department of Health or the governor or anyone else at that point. Um, so I would, in regards to the question that was raised with Dr. Santos, the uncertainty of how long this is going to be, I would anticipate this to be several more weeks. Um, if I am positive or likely positive, um, when can I return sort of into uh, society? Um, so remember, returning to society is really just returning into the recommendations of social distancing and still quarantining. Um, but still, that's a real question because if people are in isolation in their home and really minimizing the exposure to the other family members, um, people want to know, when can I sort of, you know, hug my kid? Um, and the answer that the Department of Health initially said was that we have to have two negative tests. No one's doing that anymore. And so what we're really saying is three days symptom-free from the time of the last symptom, knowing that the cough sometimes can linger a little bit longer. Um, so if you're still having body aches, you're still having um, mild fevers, you can't start the three-day count until you're really feeling much, much better and only have a little bit of a mild cough. Um, People are asking about things coming into the homes. Um, what do we do if I go shopping, if there's a delivery um, from Amazon, if someone is delivering food to our home? Um, so what I would recommend is you could bring that into your uh, home. You can, you know, unpack it, uh, put it away, wash your hands. Uh, sorry, throw away all um, the um, baggage associated with it, and then wash your hands. And while you're doing it, be very thoughtful not to touch your face or anything like that. And ideally, if you could, whatever you just brought into your house, give it, you know, a day or so before you go to it again, um, just because if there's any virus, you know, on it, um, the best is to sort of let it be for a bit. However, the data shows it's not generally being spread that way. It's really more person-to-person -person contact is uh, more the, the route of transference. Um, if we get it, are we immune? The likelihood is yes. Um, and then there were a lot of specific questions about medications and research. I'm not going to go into those uh, here. A lot of that more is going to come out um, over time. Research is being done, but no definitive data is really being published yet. Um, but there are studies done at multiple hospitals uh, throughout the city. And then another question was about the elderly you know, what to do. I really feel the need to reach out to them because they're feeling enormous stress at this time. Um, and figure out, you know, what would best work for them. Um, you know, again, we're still trying to practice social distancing, especially in a vulnerable population. Um, the statistics most recently, I know from China, it was saying, oh, it's really, you know, significant impact on the elderly. We're actually seeing, uh, I can tell you from Northwell, um, with over a thousand uh, patients that we have reviewed, that two thirds of the patients who are testing positive um, are under the age of 70. So it is not just the elderly that are getting it. It's really the whole swath of the population that is getting it. Um, 
but we do know that the worst outcomes is definitely um, in the elderly. So it is one of those things that do the support that you can from a distance. Um, and, but be as supportive as possible. Call, video chat, do whatever you can. Um, if they live in an apartment complex near you, you know, uh, you know, if you could visit, but you know, maybe in the hallway, do something, minimize, minimize contact because uh, it still is uh, a risk to that family. Um, I think that was a lot of the questions that were uh, sent. If there are other questions, um, Rema Kraus, if you want to send uh, my way, I'm happy to answer. Thank you, as always, Dr. Rocker. Thank you to the whole medical team. I, I know that we talked about this before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there again because it's coming up again. Can we take walks outside? Should we take walks outside? How do we take walks outside? Could you give us 30 seconds of guidance on that? Yeah. So uh, in regards to going outside, highly, highly recommended. Um, I think as Dr. Santos uh, referred to, our mental health during this time is extremely important for our own sanity, but also for our wellness and for our immune system. Um, and the outdoors, um, time and time again, has proven to be beneficial um, to us in so many ways. Um, and it, it does have a way of boosting our parasympathetic um, and calming us. So the way to do it um, is, you know, go in the group of your family or smaller, um, the social distancing that you do outside. So, you know, we, you know, we've talked about Germany and, and their recommendations, the social groups that should be getting together are you or the family unit. Um, so uh, if you want to go for a jog, go for a jog and smile at people. Everyone knows when you're running um, or you're walking on the street um, and you get a smile from someone else and, you know, smile that lifts the spirit. So I think it's important. It's not a time to sit and stop and chat, um, but everyone kind of knows when you give that smile and keep going, oh, like, you know, they're sending me good vibes. We don't need to have a full conversation about it. And you can certainly, you know, call them later if you want to have a larger conversation. So going outside, going into the woods, going into nature, going into your backyard, highly um, recommended, but still practice social distancing uh, the best, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so just don't gather with other, uh, with other groups and, you know, stay with your family or smaller. As you heard, many people, many people here, many of our kids are on week five of this. And the question, this is not to call anybody out. This is really just to address it directly. People are asking about, you know, small groups of kids getting together. You know, what do you think about that? How do we talk about that? What, <laughs> I, you know, again, I know it's a hard question and we just want to hear, you know, again, a minute of your, a minute of your advice and guidance. Yeah, so um, we are still in a crisis mode. Um, coming home from the hospital every day, um, it is not good in the hospitals. There's uh, a lot of stress. There is overcrowding. We do have resources, um, but uh, they are running thin. Uh, so whatever we do to minimize the risk to the community will will pay uh, in, you know the benefits. So we have seen a flattening of the curve and that is because of all the hard work that all the individuals have done. And it's one of those things, it's nice to get the instant gratification of I did something and I see the benefit. I'm telling you, the benefit is 100% there and I'm extraordinarily appreciative and the whole you know, health system is extraordinarily appreciative to all the discomfort that people are experiencing. Um, so... Uh, I would still say no gathering, no getting together. That's not what we should be doing right now. 
Thank you again, Dr. Rocker. Uh, if you're missing the comments in the chat, people love you and they're very, very appreciative of your weekly uh, guidance and calm and positivity and offer all the work that you're doing out there. So thank you very, very much. Um, I'd like to read, I'm going to read this verbatim. I, I got a call from Hatsala yesterday and I want to be very clear. Obviously, Hatsala is here for our community. Um, they are asking you to be aware of the following. They've gotten many calls. Chevra Hatsala dispatchers have seen a tremendous increase in phone calls to our emergency dispatch center. Our members and dispatchers are stretched very thin. We have increased capacity at our dispatch centers. However, we need your help to limit the phone calls to emergency calls only. Our dispatchers cannot give general advice. For non-emergency coronavirus questions, please call your doctor. Hatsala cannot advise you about testing sites, quarantine questions, or other general coronavirus information. If you think that you have symptoms of coronavirus but do not require immediate transport to the hospital, call your doctor for advice. Call Hatsala only if you have a medical emergency. While Hatsala is always careful not to discourage anyone from calling, and the same is true now, we ask you to please act responsibly and not tie up our lines with general questions. We're, of course, grateful for all of the work of Hatsala and, and agreed to, uh, to put this out. I spoke to Jeff Merdler, who's a member of Hatsala, one of the many, many members of our community, made it clear again, if you have any possibility, suffix, doubt of an emergency, you should call Hatsala. But if it's not, um, then please go to other avenues, uh, including our hotline, if there are general questions uh, that we might be able to answer and it's not a medical or an immediate medical emergency. Um, we are not going to have our regular town hall next Monday night. We're hoping to do something a little bit different pre-Pesach, um, and we'll send some more information about that as it gets closer. For SAR Academy parents, um, we're going to have some department town halls um, later this week and right after we get back from Pesach, so for ELC, um, for, for lower school and for middle school, um, just to give you some more uh, kind of department-specific updates, responses to your feedback um, and taking some of your questions. So please look out um, for, the calendar for uh, the calendar for that. We've also tried to put out um, studies that we think are beneficial to, uh, to the community in general. Um, and please note those studies. There's something going on tomorrow that, we're look that, that they're looking for volunteers or uh, uh, for people from our community to be part of. So please look out for that. Um, and if you can, um, that's, again, one of the wonderful things that you can do uh, to help fight this, to help fight this virus. I want to thank all of our volunteers, the, um, the chesed opportunities and the chesed that's being done quietly and modestly by members of our community is really inspirational. And if there are people in need, if you're aware of people in need, please, please, please let us know. It's Yantav is coming and it's a lot. There's a lot there and there's a lot of stress there in addition to the regular stress, of course, this year. Um, we want to be responsive. We want to make sure that we take care of people. Um, and if you know of anybody in need, uh, please do let us know about that. Um, I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody um, for all the work that they do, to thank all of you for being part of, part of this incredible community. Um, and we look forward to seeing you soon, um, in person soon, and uh, sooner virtually through many of the community events you're in and activities that are taking place. Um, thank you all. Laila Tov. Uh, have a great night. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org 
Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, dot org, or email us at health at joma.org. Thank you.